Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Welcome, everybody, to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast. Austin is away. He's going to Boston for the weekend. So it's just going to be me here today. I know Austin usually does these introductions a lot better, but um, I'll give you guys a quick update on what's been going on on my end and talk a little bit about the market as well before we jump into the podcast today. So we had quite a bit of turmoil as it relates to our resort closing. So for anyone that doesn't know, we're closing a business acquisition on a resort. You guys can look it up if you want, for sure. It's called Sandy Lanes Resort. We basically had to get a two and a half week extension, which is costing us about $22,000 plus a little bit more in kind of miscellaneous costs that we got to reimburse for. Um, I think anyone that, that's interested in you know business acquisitions, we're definitely going to be sharing a lot more about that journey. We'll see about maybe even doing, uh, I'm going to talk to Austin about this, but maybe even just doing a, a podcast episode talking about that. But for anyone that doesn't know, business acquisitions are actually very similar to acquiring multifamily real estate, right? So it's based on the same principles, which is, you know, what's your net income for the business, right? What's the multiple that's common for that industry? So hospitality as a whole has various multiples that, that make sense for that. Um, and then therefore, what's the value that the business is worth, right? And so the objective here is to increase net income, which obviously similar to multifamily real estate, you can do by either increasing the revenue or decreasing the expenses, the primary way that we see is to increase the revenue for now, right? From a financing perspective, that it was a freaking challenge. And I say that as a mortgage broker, but I, I don't do a whole lot of large commercial deals like this, right? So um, we did leverage other people that have that expertise, but it was still a challenge because they look at how much net income does a business generate right now and can it afford to service the debt on the business, right? So they usually want you to be at about a 1.3 uh, to 1.35 debt service ratio, which we will we'll definitely be there, right? But as it is right now, it's a little bit hard, especially because there is a VTB on this property, which helps us reduce our capital investment, but makes financing a little bit more challenging, right? So like I said, just check out, follow along on, on social media. Um, I'll definitely got, kind of be breaking it down a little bit into there. We've been taking over um, some of the marketing contracts and kind of overall like employee contracts and various other expenses for the seller just to kind of uh, make up for the fact that we're delaying closing by about two and a half weeks here, right? So definitely starting to bleed a little bit on that pro- on that project already, but um, long term it should definitely be a, a pretty fun project. It's about sixteen cabins, and there's a larger primary cabin, and there is a banquet hall on the facility as well. It's beachfront, great property. Um, seller was previously not on Airbnb. Um, so they have a very kind of loyal customer base and they've been really good at attracting people directly to their website as well. So um, half of our, our game plan here is to take this also to Airbnb to increase the occupancy rate, which was previously sitting at, I think about 45%. So definitely a lot of upside. Um, talking about the market as well, there's been a lot of kind of Anytime you open an online newspaper or any kind of publication, you'll you'll be reading or even YouTube, at least for me, um, it's all about, you know, interest rates are going up and the housing market's going to crash and the stock market's going to crash and, you know, all these other things. And I think at this point, everyone knows, right, that that interest rates are going to go up, right? And one conversation that I've been having with quite a few people over the last week and a half, I might've even mentioned this 
last week on the podcast, right? But market cycle corrections are usually caused by an unknown, right? So if you look back over time, that would be the pandemic um, in 2020, right? And then looking back beyond that, government introduces stress tests and foreign home buyers tax in 2017-18, right? Uh, that causes the housing market to slow down. Going back beyond that, you had the Lehman Brothers collapse, which no one really anticipated. And if you keep going more and more back, usually housing market corrections are caused by unknown variables. Uh, market cycles will occur in correlation with interest rates. That makes sense. Usually housing price affordability drops. I think it's 10% for every 1% interest rate or something like that. Right. So these are kind of just rules of thumbs that you guys can look up as well. But overall, like no one's doubting that interest rates will go up. Will the effect on housing prices be offset by various other kind of demand factors like immigration and overall just a higher aptitude for investments? Possibly, right. We'll see. Uh, but there's also a growing kind of expectations for an end of 2023, early 2024 recession, which in theory would offset the interest rate hikes that we're about to see in the next year and a half, right? So essentially there's a lot out there that, you know, governments will increase interest rates too fast, forcing the economy into a recession, which will then result in a decrease in interest rates, right? So ultimately no one really knows, but um, when you're growing out your real estate portfolio, when you're acquiring businesses, which is what we just did, right? When you're doing all this kind of stuff, it's important to stay on top of the market, make your own assessment of where we are in the market cycle, and then change your strategy based on that, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't buy real estate, but it when I say change your strategy, it impacts, hey, am, how, like, am I taking on like really expensive private money? How much cash am I holding in reserves, right? Um, what type of acquisitions am I gonna do? Am I gonna do acquisitions that take three months, six months to burn? Am I gonna take acquisitions that are maybe one to two year timelines, right? All of that will really depend on what where you believe you are in the market cycle. So get educated, guys, and make sure you go out there and do your own research and arrive at your own conclusions, right? Speaking about which and about growing businesses, this week we have Jeremy Ivany on the podcast. Jeremy's um, he's killing it as a real estate investor. He's based out of Chatham, Ontario. Uh, he's gone through the phases of you know starting off by saving up to buy your own properties and then going through aggressive growth using joint venture partners. And now he's consolidating a lot of his real estate into his own name. And I think I saw on social media just the other week that he now kind of completed maybe the last one or, or one of the last few ones, right? So uh, he also talks about overall, like along the way and, and that journey, how his business has changed, how he's brought in additional revenue streams. They both kind of just quit the day job. Uh, I think it was a year or so ago, right? To kind of pursue real estate full time. The mindset changes that happened along the way. And overall, what helped them kind of through their journey, right? So make sure you guys check out this episode with Jeremy. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, drop a comment. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you guys share it with a friend. Hello, everyone. We are joined with a very special guest. And it's about time we have you on, Jeremy Ivany. Jeremy, how's everything going, man? Good, good, guys. How are you guys doing? Been awesome, man. Jeremy, I think uh, we've both followed your journey and, and we've, you know, been on very similar journeys, I think, between the three of us. But uh, for any of our listeners that might not know you, why don't you give everyone kind of a quick rundown on how you got started in real estate and kind of what you're doing today. And then, as always, we'll, we'll break it down. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I got started two and a half years ago. The way I got started actually was just listening through Bigger Pockets. I think it's a route that a lot of people kind of got started. Uh, to date, we've done about 30 deals. So everything we do is typically buy and hold. So we're buying anything from single family all the way up to 12 unit apartment buildings. Uh, and now trying to scale that a little bit further, trying to get into like the 20 unit, 30 unit, uh, sort of range, kind of something we're comfortable with. Uh, the reason being just to allocate, you know, more capital easier versus, you know, uh, scaling it across, you know, multiple different properties, but uh, strategy that we focus on heavily is 
sourcing off market properties and the burst strategy. So I think, you know, now more than ever, the burst strategy, it's, uh, I think it's getting easier um, actually as we continue, you know, building up our portfolio, having the teams in place to not only find these deals, but, um, you know, actually execute them. So that's really what we're focusing on. And we're focusing on uh, Chatham, Ontario's only. That's the only market we invest in and the only market I foresee ourselves investing in. It's a market that I'm uh, a little bit bullish on. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you have that laser focus. I guess that's how uh, Mario and I got started out as well. We're laser focused in Windsor. I kind of like branched off all over the place, but I'm jealous, man, to have all of your assets in one place probably makes managing so much easier. For sure. Yeah. And even yesterday I was there with my contractor and I said, Hey, let's just walk over to the other property we're renovating. And then we walked over to the other property we're renovating. (laughs) Right. So a lot of our stuff you can get to within, you know, two minutes, two minute drive at the most. And a lot of it you can get with a two minute walk. So it was a strategy that we thought would work really well in the beginning. And it's just something we've stuck to, right? You know, even when you're borrowing private capital from other people, they have a lot more trust. I understand the Chatham market, I think as good as anybody uh, does, right? Because I'm laser focused on that market. I know what stuff's going to appraise for. I know what stuff's going to rent for. I know what sort of things to look out for in certain areas, you know, foundation sinking because of, you know, maybe when they were built. So I've just got that kind of upper hand on people. And, you know, I think now more than ever with how competitive the market is, you've got to be able to give your best offer a lot of these times. So I'm able to give, you know, sometimes more than what other people are willing to, because I have that knowledge of, Hey, I just refinanced the duplex a couple doors down from this. So I know, yeah, maybe you think it's only going to appraise for 375, but maybe I know it's going to appraise for 450. Right. So I now have, you know, that upper advantage on people. Yeah, I know. I definitely miss having that knowledge. I definitely don't have that in the market. <laughs> I'm jumping after <laughs> that. I think it's very relatable. Like Austin, even, even you and I, when we were buying it, Windsor, would be like, oh, like we just bought that property down the road and like we bought it at that price. And like this property. We didn't even look at comps. We yeah, didn't need to. Right? <laughs> yeah. Extent, I was joking around with someone. I was like, to certain extent, we can make our own comps, right? If we know this property appraised uh, at this valuation, we can just kind of refer to that appraisal report, right? So I just want to break down how you guys got started, right? So listen to Bigger Pockets, and a lot of us did. The first time I listened to Bigger Pockets, so I just went, this shit only works in the US, right? <laughs> like, this is not like a Canadian yeah, yeah. strategy. I just kind of shrugged it off. That was like way back in like 2017 or 18, I think, that I started listening to it. But I'm curious, how did you get started in real estate investing? Um, how did you guys afford to buy your first property? Um, you know, what was that journey like? For sure. So Taylor and I, we bought our first house when we were 19, just a single family house that we lived in. We bought it for 195,000. And then we ended up uh, kind of doing like the birth strategy by mistake. So we renovated the property, uh, then we refinanced it. So I think once we refinanced the property, we had about $80,000. So $80,000 at the time we were living in London, Ontario was just enough to buy, you know, a duplex or triplex with 20% down. So what we were doing is we were actively looking at properties on the MLS. And what we found is we continued to get outbid uh, and really to price points that we couldn't even afford to pay, right? Because the, you know, the rents didn't service the debt. So we were just at a meetup, uh, you know, bigger pockets was always talking about, you know, attend your local meetups, try to meet new people, things like that. So I went to a meetup and I met these investors that invested in Chatham, Ontario. And I said, I didn't even know Chatham was like existed, honestly. And then the next day I, or that night I went on realtor.ca. I saw that there was two duplexes listed. I honestly went down the next day and got them both under contract. I'd never even been to China before. I was like, screw it. Let's just do it. Uh, what's the worst that's going to happen. Right. You know, I was 21 at the time. I figured if I, you know, if I went to zero, I could restart anyways. So, so that's what we did. That's how we, that's how we got to Chatham. Honestly, just by mistake, we didn't do any, you know, pre uh, market analysis. I didn't know if there was growth. I didn't know if there was jobs. All I knew is there were properties that I could afford and it made sense. Right. I was a new investor. And I think, 
the most important thing to get started and to continue growing is just continuing to take action, right? You're never going to have all the answers. That's why I try and tell all the people that I coach, right? You're never going to have all the answers. I can teach you as much as you want to know. You're still going to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. So let's just take action. Let's see what happens, right? And we can mitigate our, our risk as we continue growing because we have a power team in place. Uh, we understand the market a little bit more, but definitely in the beginning, I didn't really know anything. When was this that you were getting started in real estate? Like, So two and a half years ago. So. Um, June, 2019 was when we started, uh, when we bought our first property. I know your journey a bit at the beginning. One thing that you frequently mention is, is that you took a lot of leverage out to make some of these deals work. And at times your money, like it very in huge capital crunches essentially. Right. So how did you overcome that? Did you get JV partners, lines of credit, private money? How did you continually buy deals at such an aggressive pace with not much money to begin with? For sure. Uh, I guess it goes without saying there was definitely times where I was incredibly nervous uh, with what we were doing. I am not going to lie. There was times where we were certainly over leveraged to the point where I'm like, if this deal doesn't work, like there's a chance, like, you know, we're gonna have to start selling stuff. I'm sure we've all been in that situation, right? Where we, we don't really mitigate our risk because we're just, you know, leveraged at 90, hundred percent sometimes. So the way that we scaled, so we bought our first five properties personally, we just kind of did the Burr method. Honestly, we were just borrowing money from family and friends and we didn't have this knowledge, right? I didn't have a coach to tell me like, Hey, you can borrow funds to, you know, for your down payments. You just gotta, you know, have it in your bank account for three to six months. And then the bank's not even going to know that's borrowed money, right? I didn't know this stuff. I just, was just kind of thinking in my head, okay, how do I get around this? Because clearly other people are doing this, right? And so, so that's why we got started in the beginning. We got to five properties and then we started doing joint ventures. So I did, you know, I bought a fourplex with a good friend of mine, James Fernandez. Then I bought another fourplex with him. Then I bought another fourplex with another partner. And then we, we, you know what, we were at eight properties and then naturally people just started coming to us, right? Hey, I see what you're doing in Chatham. I see the deals that you're you know, doing. I've talked to some of your joint venture partners. They're happy with you. Naturally, people wanted to start borrowing or lending us money. People wanted to start joint venturing with us. So then we ended up taking on another joint venture. We bought two other properties with them that got us the 10. Then really what I realized at that point was I don't really want to scale in the small multifamily space. This is the way I thought kind of back then. So I said, I want to go bigger. Uh, I want to buy, I want to start buying 12 unit buildings. I want to start buying 24 unit buildings. Why? I don't really know. I just figured it just made more sense. So naturally I just was like, okay, what am I missing? Well, I think I can easily find a 12 plex off market. I don't think that's going to be too difficult, right? You go up to a 12 plex to ask a tenant who owns the building, call that number, very simple process. What I was missing was a half a million dollars I needed to buy the property. Right. And I didn't want to go borrow half a million dollars at 12% because I, I felt was a big risk for me. So I had to find somebody that had this money. I had a friend of mine that was selling off a lot of his properties, uh, a lot of his real estate that he bought, you know, 10 years ago. So he was naturally just looking to allocate capital to some of these deals. So I said, Hey, why don't we start buying some 12 plexes together? So then we started buying 12 plexes. So we bought two 12 plexes with that partner. And then really what I realized was, okay, I wanted to get to a certain net worth point, right? I don't chase units. I chase net worth. That's kind of the goal. That's really the metric that I'm using. And I said, it's going to take me twice as many deals to get to 10 million or 5 million, whatever that goal is that I'm chasing. So I said, why not just do it on my own, right? I realized, okay, I bought this duplex for 130. Now it's worth 300, but I only own 50% of it. Had I just borrowed the $40,000 I needed at 10%, I would have only given away $10,000 versus $70,000. So then I just said, okay, no more joint ventures, right? No more joint ventures. We're going to start doing this all. It's just going to be Jeremy and Taylor. We want to scale this up to a point where we have the freedom, right? We, why did we all get into real estate for freedom? What do joint ventures provide? Not freedom, right? They're like another tenant. You can have the bet. I've had 
three of the best joint venture partners I think I could have asked for. They all still feel like tenants. Why? Because, you know, you're committed to the property more than maybe you would be on some of your personal health properties. For sure. So I think the one question I asked you there about joint venture partners, this is something me and Austin have gotten back and forth a million times about, right? So the, the main risk in real estate, as your portfolio grows, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's capital calls, right? So like uh, my roof caved in on like our nine unit, like not, like literally like two days ago, right? So it's like, <laughs> like, it's on, like, I don't even know how many of like whatever bill, right? And then like, meanwhile, me and Austin have a property together that we just finished renovating, right? So like there's capital call and like that's like us two owning it together. So there's capital calls on like, a bunch of different properties. And when you don't have joint venture partners, how do you mitigate that risk? Is it, does it just come down to strong reserves? For sure. So we don't use any of our cash flow on any of our properties, right? I try and I've actually educated, I've had to educate some tenants on this, right? They're like, you're making a thousand dollars on this property from, from us paying. I'm like, yeah, sure. But I just had to fix the roof. That was $10,000. Do you want to pay for that? Um, so what do I do to mitigate that risk? There's, there's cash flows all the time. My property manager, you know, every week she's telling me, Hey, there's, you know, $500 bill here, a thousand dollar bill here. I'm like, sure. That's okay. You want to know what? Um, I don't believe that we're ever going to get rich off of cash flow. We're going to get rich off of equity. Right. So I, I, all of my cash flow, maybe on paper, I make $15,000 a month in cash flow. Let's just say, or maybe it's 20. I don't know what it is. Right. But let's say that's what it is. I just allocate that for all of the, you know, BS that comes up, right? I don't touch any of my cash flow. The way that I, you know, make income for myself is a few different ways. I make uh, money through coaching. I make money through wholesaling. I make money through wholesaling that we've recently given up. But that's how I, you know, generate um, money for myself as well as doing refinances, right? Right now, I think we've got, maybe we've got 17, 19 properties, let's just say. I can refinance three or four of them all the time. I can always have refinances on the go. And I always do right right now. We have seven refinances uh, in the process. So that's how I'm, you know, and then I'm, I'm just storing cash. Right. So I, I use private money for all of my deals. I don't use my own money. What's the point? Right. Cause I can have my money working for me 100% of the time. And then when I need private capital, I'll have that working for me in the time being, right. If I can get 12% and I have to borrow 12%, I'd rather have my 12%, you know, coming in all the time. And then if I need 12% money on eight months of the year, well, I've, you know, I've made a, a difference of four months of 12%. Right. So we always, we always have strong reserves at any given point. So I always just look at, you know, what's our, you know, what's our portfolio value look like. And then just try and have a percentage on that. So at any given time, maybe we've got, you know, half a million to three quarters of a million dollars, just kind of hanging around just in case, you know, cause right now I've got 10 renovations on the go. That's each renovation probably cost me $15,000 a week. Right. You've got to have strong reserves. And that's, I, I mitigate all of my risk by having strong reserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is super important. So a lot of people get cash flow twisted. They think that they can solely live off the income. And honestly, I feel like I've also played a part in saying that early in my journey. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah. Uh, all of us thought we we're just going to survive off of that. But when you're buying properties in places like Chatham, Windsor, Sudbury, these are old properties, man. If a furnace has five years to live, we'll let it live out all five years five years, we're going to have to replace it, right? We let everything survive until it absolutely needs to be replaced. So as a result, there's a lot more capital calls than um, I guess what I originally imagined. At first, I thought I was doing something wrong. I was like, oh my God, like all of these, getting all these emails from these property managers saying that this needs to be fixed, that needs to be fixed. But then the more you start speaking to investors with a decent sized portfolio, it seems to be a common, I wouldn't say problem, but a common thing that comes up and Everyone says with that cash flow, you just leave it as reserves. And one other thing that you mentioned that I really love is, is that you can probably raise capital 
at a cheaper percentage than what you can lend your capital out at, right? 100%. So like you're just going to private money and then keep your money in cash for either reserves for renovations, or you can even lend it out because you can lend it out at a higher percentage, right? People are going to loan you at a less percent. For sure. That really makes a lot of sense. For new investors, like I don't want to give the image that cash flow isn't important, right? Like I think for all of us, we all chase that, you know, we're going to accumulate so much cash flow that we can just quit our jobs and we can just live life off the cash flow, right? To a certain extent, I'm really not sure what it is. Like we, we accumulated the cash flow, but then we all started doing other things that got us, you know, more income. And therefore we're allowed to kind of forego that cash flow. But I do still think in five to 10 years, as the mortgages, mortgages get paid down, as rents increase and cash flow therefore increases, it will continue to make a drastic impact on our lives, right? But I think as of right now, we all just kind of let that cash flow sit and, you know, live off our other active business income, right? Um, For sure. So that's awesome. So, so Jeremy, I know you talked briefly about jumping into those, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 unit kind of buildings, right? Yeah. And oddly you said, uh, you know, sourcing those deals off market would be relatively easy and you're kind of in a, in a pretty like smallish kind of market, right? It's not like you're targeting yeah. all of Southwestern Ontario, right? You're, you're, you're super yeah. focused, super, super nation market. Um, how are you going about sourcing those deals? And in today's market where, multifamily cap rate compression is like a serious thing. It's happening across the board, every multifamily owner. Cause now you're not, you're not buying properties from a single family house owner who doesn't know anything about the market. Anyone that has, or they should, anyone that, you know, has a 10 or 12, unless you inherited it, you understand the investing game, you understand valuation cap rates and so on. Right. So how are you going about structuring these deals? How are you going about sourcing them? Just walk us that walk us through all of that. For sure. So I guess before I get to that, there was one thing I wanted to add, and that was anytime that I'm analyzing, this will kind of tie into the uh, multifamily space as well. Anytime that I'm analyzing properties, I'm always looking at the uh, the DCR ratio on purchase and on refinance. So let's say I bought a duplex, right? Here's a deal that I actually just did. And this was actually the lot, like one of the only MLS deals I've done in like the last two years. I bought a duplex on the MLS for $210,000. I put about $40,000 of work into the property. So I'm all in for about 250. Uh, that's, that's including closing costs as well too. Uh, and then it appraised for 500,000, right? So now, now I've got a mortgage of $400,000 on it. I'm getting paid $150,000 plus all my renovation funds, plus my down payment. But when I analyzed that property, I didn't think I was going to get an appraisal of 500,000. What I did think I was going to get an appraisal at was 400,000. But when I ran the numbers, I said, Hey, if I get a new mortgage at 400,000, the DCR is still 1.6. What does that tell me? That tells me in two years from now, right? So I was trying to do two, three-year mortgages. Let's say the values do go up and that now it is worth 500,000. Now I can refinance that property again, because I know at 400, the DCR is 1.6 and at maybe 500, it's still 1.35, right? So I know when I'm analyzing these properties, there's still room to refinance in two years from now. And that's really where you get paid is on the refinances. I will trade getting paid half a million dollars on a property then for an extra 500 bucks a month all day long, right? Because I'll take that 500,000 and make $6,000 a month off of it, right? So I'd much rather, you know, get as much equity out on these properties as possible. Now, when I'm sourcing off market deals, there's a bunch of different ways. I gave away, I think I gave away too many secrets on the Andrew Hines podcast. So I'll be a little careful with uh, how much I share, but I'm more than happy to 
to help people. I like to provide value. And, and for the most part, most people aren't going to take action. So it's okay. Um, <laughs> Just gonna say you know, a lot of what I do is uh, it's, it's true, right? I, I, I teach, uh, we've coached over 50 uh, real estate investors. I have five students in particular that are absolute rock stars. Why are they rock stars? They take action every single day. Why are the other 45 not as good as the other five? Well, they don't take action every single day. Right. And it's just like these small incremental uh, steps you take every single day that leads to these big results. Right. So, you know, we always underestimate how much or overestimate how much we can do in a week, but not what we can do in a year. Right. So people are like, well, I door knocked for two days and nothing happened. Well, why don't you try it for a month and see what happens? I'm sure the results will be much greater. It's not like Alex Ramosi. Like you make exactly sound like him. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but check him out later. No. <laughs> no. So what do I do? I, I mean, I, I've never been coached on how to find off market deals, but the one thing that I try and teach other people and I, I'll, I continually tell myself is let's break this down simple, right? Let's, let's simplify the process. So what am I going to do? You know, what are the steps in, well, I need to talk to a seller in order to get a property. So what's the easiest way? Well, flyering, you know, there's maybe a 1% chance every time you drop a flyer, somebody's going to call you. I mean, it's probably in the decimal point of what the chances are. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to go door knock on that property. Right. So, and then we also have to think, okay, you know, a lot of times we're talking to tenants when we're answering these properties and when we're knocking on these doors. So clearly me saying, Hey, uh, you know, I want to buy this property. Do you want to give me your landlord's number? That's not going to work. Right. So I, you know, phrase it differently. I say, Hey, you know, maybe I own the property a few doors down from you. I'm doing some renovation work and I need to talk to your landlord for, uh, you know, just some approvals, things like that. I always get a success. I, I always get landlord's numbers that way. And then when I talk to them, I just say, hey, look, you know, I was talking to one of your tenants, uh, and you know, I was, I, I'm interested in purchasing the property. That's typically how I go about finding these off market leads, um, as well as to really just planting seeds with every investor I know in Chatham, right? Anytime I hear somebody mention the word investing in Chatham, I want to know who you are, right? I want to, I want to create a friendship with you. I want to help you because maybe one day down the road, you're going to help me. Right. And you know, yesterday I got a property from a property manager who doesn't even manage any of my properties. All of his clients want deals, but for some reason he came to me. Why? Cause I told him if he does, I'll give him $5,000. And I just picked up probably one of the best deals I've done in like the last two years last night because of that, because I was willing to pay him more than everybody else. Right. Nobody else, when they, you know, they say, Hey, you know, uh, property manager, do you want to just find me deals? There's no value proposition. Here's my value proposition. I'll give you $5,000 and you can manage it. Right. And then, Oh, you want to give me some vacant units? I'll give you $3,000 every vacant unit. Now I just bought a triplex fully vacant on closing property manager is getting paid $15,000 to me. That, that mitigates all of my risk. I don't have to go into the property and hope these people leave. I know they're going to leave. I know they're going to be gone on closing. And this property manager has paid 15 grand, right? He's probably getting 150 bucks a month from that property. So there's a hundred months of property management fees he just made for helping me out. This is what I do with everybody I know. Find me a deal, I'll pay you. I'll pay you more than anybody else will, right? Because I'm here to, for it to be a win-win, right? I don't need to make a million dollars here, right? I want, I want everybody that's surrounded by me to prosper just as much as I am. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely a key point, even with our business and wholesaling um, with our bird dogs, we give them a high, if someone gives us a lead, some wholesalers will just give a thousand to $5,000. We give a percentage of the assignment fee. So it's directly correlated to how good deal is. And when you're able to offer more value to people, they're more inclined to work with you, right? People who penny pinch are just never going to get anywhere in real estate. So Definitely brought yeah. an important point up there. I'm just curious though, when you're going door knocking, are you doing it on apartment buildings and just like speaking to the first tenant you can get a hold of? So with the apartment buildings, I think just naturally, just with meeting so many people, I might know like 
50% of the apartment owners in Chatham at this point, just pure connections, right? Uh, just calling people. I, I should rephrase that. I probably door knock, I've probably door knocked 50 doors in my, in my like career, let's just say a lot of it comes through just planting these seeds or just literally being like, I want to own that property, like that property in specific, I want to own. So I'm going to figure out who owns that property. I've never been, I'm going to knock, you know, all of William street today or all of Wellington streets. I've, I've never been like that. Right. I'm very strategic with how I do it. You know, deals are coming from a multitude of different places. I, th- I think we talk a lot about, you know, how to source these off market deals. And I, I definitely don't want you to, you know, put out everything, but um, what if we, talk about how you're negotiating these deals, right? Because I think there's something in them where um, these are large, like I said earlier, like larger multifamily buildings, right? And you're able to kind of negotiate them in a price that that works for you. So how do you go about that? Because like, how does that conversation go with the seller? Um, we could play one out, right? But if you just- like, Are you talking specifically on the large multis? Yeah, the larger multis. Okay. I a lot of people are curious sure. about them. And it doesn't have to be too large, right? Like anything that's like yeah. five units above value based on capital. Okay. So last year we bought a, I'll, I'll talk about the first one we bought and then I'll talk about the most recent one we bought. So we've done four uh, so far in the last year. Um, so the first one we bought, I honestly, I, I actually, I was in Chatham one day and I met this wholesaler and he's like, I got a deal in London. I was like, I don't want that deal. So I gave it to one of my friends. The deal that I gave to her ended up being an owner of a 12 plex in Chatham. So I found that deal that way. She was outside talking to this owner and he's like, Oh, you bought this fourplex. Do you want to buy a 12 plex in Chatham? She's like, no, my best friend does though. So I was able to find the deal that way. He came to me with a price that was like, it was a no brainer price. I bought this 12 plex for $1.1 million. Like at the time it made so much sense. I didn't negotiate. Right. Like sometimes there's like sellers name a price and I'm like, we're not going to mess around anymore. Right. Like, okay, we're good. Uh, another one, it just came up on the MLS. I literally just drove over there right away. The owner and the uh, realtor just happened to be there at the property. And I just like pleaded with them. I'm like, please just like, I'll buy this for what you want. I like was showing them all the deals I've done. I'm like, I can close. I, we've done 20 deals so far this year. So I was able to just get that one for $1.4 million, which I thought was an incredible deal at that time. I think we bought it at a six cap with huge value. Add. It was rented at like 50% of market rent. So there's huge value add. Uh, the most recent one I just did, uh, one where I've reached back out to the seller probably eight or 10 times. That one there, he came to me, uh, probably will be the most expensive 12 plex that's ever sold in Chatham. So I'm not going to tell you that I got the best deal on it, uh, but it's in probably one of the best neighborhoods in Chatham. Uh, and it came with seven units vacant, right? So there's there's value uh, there in itself. I'm going to bring it back to CMHC when we're done. We're open to slap uh, you know, 85% loan to value uh, CMHC mortgage on the back end of it. So it's going to be a perfect burr. And then we're already in talks with the other five tenants. So I'm 95% certain that I'm going to get this entire building vacant on closing. So we picked up that one for $1.9 million, which is very expensive for Chatham, but you know, at a six cap fully stabilized, it's worth about $3.2 million, which I think is a reasonable cap rate uh, on stabilization, uh, bringing it to CMHC. So it's going to pay, uh, you know, it's going to pay us back. So. The vacant units are, I guess, are key for that deal, right? And I think that's that's a tough part in all of Ontario. It's why I think a lot of people are flocking to outer province kind of multifamily. Um, do you ever struggle with the fact that you just do Chatham? Because I'm going to assume, I've never actually been to Chatham. I think we went once, but uh, uh, I'm going to assume the number of larger multifamily buildings in Chatham is limited in quantity, right? No. So actually Chatham, they have the most multifamily properties per capita, I think. Interesting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my realtor told me that and I just took it at face value. So um, don't quote me on that. 
but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if that's true. Like pretty much like I would, I wouldn't doubt if like 75 to 80% of people rent in Chatham. There's a large quantity of multifamily properties. Um, there's actually a lot of really big multifamily properties. We're actually negotiating right now on a $14 million uh, multifamily property uh, in Chatham. So there's tons of those as well too. It's just, it's honestly just like building relationships. I plant so many seeds. I've probably planted like five seeds this week where I'm hopeful in the next year, a deal's going to come from this. Right. So, I mean, I know like every, I honestly wouldn't doubt if I know like all, almost all of the investors in Chatham at this point, because I'm just a hawk. I'm like, you're talking about Chatham. Let's, let's connect because there's a value proposition here. I want to help you. There's so many investors. I just help. Like I want to see everybody succeed. Right. And then maybe one day they're going to tie up a deal that they can't close on. And maybe they're going to, I'm going to be the first one they think about. Right. And that happens so often. Same with realtors too. There'd be a lot of people, you know, always come to me. Hey, Jeremy, I know you invest in Chatham. You know, a good realtor. I shoot realtors referrals all the time. And then those realtors, I don't even work with them and they bring me deals all the time. Right. So you're just planting all of these seeds. Adding value without asking for value in return. And then at those times, whenever someone runs across something, you're the first name that they keep in mind. I'm, I'm curious about funding these multifamily. So we talked about analyzing it, finding it. How do you go about funding these large scale deals? Like 14 million, I'm sure you're not bringing that all in down payment and funding. All no, that. no. And that's, that, that'll definitely be partners for sure. If that gets accepted, <laughs> um, I, I will definitely try and get a large equity stake in that. So if that was to get accepted, there would definitely be uh, some sell off for sure. Um, we'd probably sell off. We'd probably just take a big look at our portfolio and just look at maybe three or four properties we would look to exit on. And then uh, we've got uh, like a considerable amount of cash at this point too. Um, for the, for the 12 plex stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's, or that we're picking up tomorrow. That's fully private. So I have somebody that funds the entire purchase price Elsrenos, on that one. And then, like I said, you know, it's going to be paid back on the CMHC refinance, or if we just bring it to a bank and do 80% or a 75% loan to value, it's still going to pay all the funds back. So do you defer, um, like the interest payments to the maturity or do you pay like on a monthly basis? And how do you, so we always just pay monthly. Um, like at this point, like, uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like we've bought stuff that's literally like tripled the price. So to like, mm. to sit here and be like, we borrow all the money possible. Like we don't, like we have, we have a, uh, like a, a large, like a considerable amount of cash at this point, just because of where the markets went. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously if we saw relative appreciation, like we probably should have and not, you know, 40, 50% year over year, we would be in a different situation where we'd probably be borrowing more capital. But at this point, we're just trying to use as much of our own as possible. But yeah, we just pay, we just pay monthly interest. So on that one there, you know, it's about sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars in interest. So we're expecting to pay about $150,000 in uh, fees. You know, it's going to bring us to about just over 2 million. And then we're expecting to spend $300,000 on renovations. So it's going to bring us to about $2.4 million. And that's assuming we get all the units vacant and then that's easily covered. Um, you know, I always try and talk to people like never try and save money to lose money, right? Why not pay 12% interest if you can make a hundred percent return, right? Like, and this is the problem a lot of people have, right? A lot of my students, we actually lend out a lot of money too. Uh, and sometimes it's to our students. And I was, why is it 13%? Why is it 12%? Like, well, you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars. What's the $5,000 fee? Like, what do you care about that? Right. It's the same with when people don't want to refinance property to access $300,000 because you know, their lender is going to charge them 10,000. You're losing so much money on that $290,000 you could have, right. It's just debt equity. So just never, you know, I don't like to overanalyze things. It's just like the like rapid fire, like, no, that makes sense. Let's do it. But then we're closing on another 12 plex uh, at the end of this month, that one there, uh, we're just refinancing properties to pay for the down payment. 
Yeah, I, I think you nailed something in, in right there, which is like the 12 versus 13 versus 14 percent. I was having this conversation with someone else. I'm like, dude, like you understand that like from 12 to 13 percent, it's a thousand dollars or whatever it is per, per year on like 100K. And that on yeah. a monthly basis is a hundred dollars or something like that a month. Yeah. You need this loan for three months. Right. So like you're really <laughs> like three hundred dollars. Like it really doesn't make sense. Yeah. I also think it comes with experience. I can understand where like a new investor is a little bit like sure. versus someone that, you know, maybe has a little bit more cash reserves. Right. So I'm curious, like from growing your portfolio, how has your, your team changed? Cause like as much as, you know, real estate is passive, it's really not right. Like we, you've got, you know, you're busy, like networking. I'm sure it sounds like you're meeting with a bunch of people. You have your, your funnels open, right. Which I'm sure takes a lot of your time. Uh, contractors, if you've got multiple renovations going, I think you said you've got 10 to 15 at a point. Right. So that, yeah. that requires management of contractors, management of, you know, even once you buy a deal, just getting it too close requires works. Right. So, so how do you, I guess, between yourself and, and Taylor, like, how do you guys um, divide up responsibilities? How's your team changed and how's it kind of yep. changed as, as you grew? For sure. So Taylor actually takes more of an active role on the coaching side of things, which is actually something we're looking to scale back because the value proposition I think is, is slowly dwindling, but it's, it's really nice. It's really cool to see people uh, scale and grow. So she, she's more on that side of things as well as just like the back end, like our social media, you know, sending out newsletters so people have an up-to-date um, report of, you know, what, what's going on with us, what's new and how we're progressing. The active role that I take in our business is raising private capital and finding deals as of right now. I would be lying if I said our rental portfolio is very well streamlined at this point. So we've got, like you were saying, we've got about 10 renovations on the go right now. Um, and it's very streamlined, right? So we've just set up all of these processes so that it's easier to manage. So we use a sauna to track all of our renovations, um, all of our contractors we've been working with for multiple years. So we've got really good systems and relationships built that way. Uh, so a lot of our renovations and then just day-to-day -day management are things that I don't have to hear about. Uh, typically, I just have like a 30-minute call every uh, Monday and every Thursday with our contractors just to make sure we're up to date on all of these things. And then usually once a week or twice a month, maybe I'll go down to Chatham and just check them out. However, we were just in Costa Rica for two months. That was interesting just to kind of scale our portfolio that way, um, especially like getting deposits to, to lawyers. That was like the most annoying thing ever. It was like, you know, because sellers are like, no, I don't want a thousand dollar deposit. I want a fifty thousand dollar deposit. You're like, well, how do I transfer fifty thousand dollars? Right? You know, you got to be there physically. So, um, luckily, we had just I just gave my mom a bunch of money before we left, and I was like, you can bring this to my lawyer if need be. So that that worked out. But then there was a point where it was like, hey, we don't, we don't have any more money at this point to like bring to the lawyers. So I we came home, and that's been nice. Um, but yeah, like I said, we're hiring who's going to be an acquisitions manager for our team. Uh, just to kind of help really scale up the buying process. I find when I get overwhelmed, I stop doing things, right? So anytime that I do feel overwhelmed, I just ask like, what's that bottleneck right now? And a lot of it just has to do with acquisitions, right? If I'm not actually like actively being intentional about finding off market properties, I don't find off market properties. But when I am intentional, they seem to always come about. So, you know, I was just thinking to myself, what can my business not afford? Right. And it can't afford for me to do everything. So we've just slowly over the last six months after I attended the Maui mastermind with Brandon Turner, it really put into uh, gear, like what it is I need to focus on for our business to grow. And I need to be like, I need to take more act, like active role being the visionary for our company. Right. So I'm like a big thinker. I like to do big, I like to do big things. I don't like to implement things though. Right. So we have Taylor to help implement. I'm going to have Spencer to help implement, you know, sourcing all, more off market leads and then, you know, I think the next person that's going to come on our team is probably going to be a project manager because the thing is, I don't want to continually buy a new day job, right? 
I did, I, I got into real estate for freedom, not for, you know, me having to work 10, 12 hours a day, which we don't, right. We try and set our limit to about six hours a day of work and then that's it. Uh, and if things pile up, then there's like, there's a time to outsource. And, you know, we've hired a business consultant just to kind of help us get more systems in place, things like that. But, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's very well streamlined at this point, even like our buying process. So we've just, you know, every time we buy a property, we've got a, a sauna checklist that we just go through. So, you know, it's like send the lawyer the deposit, uh, you know, set up utilities, uh, email the insurance broker who has a direct email to our lawyer. So instead of him sending me the insurance buyer, uh, binder to then send to my lawyer. It just goes directly to my lawyer, right? There's like, there's like one thing you're like, Hey, uh, insurance broker, send this to my lawyer instead of me. Now I don't have to worry. Like that's one less thing I have to do. Right. And that's like one simple email and like same with setting up utilities. It's like one simple email now, instead of having to go online, having to set it all up that way. It's like, I just got a direct line to both Integris and Enbridge. It's super easy to set the utilities up that way. So it's just like thinking anytime that I do something, that's like, that took too long or that's not something I can scale out. I just think about like, what's a system I can put in place. So like this can scale out. Right. And that's the big reason why we're trying to step back from coaching is because that's something like I have to be physically on these calls, right. For an hour, sometimes three hours, right. We do a mastermind sometimes just three hours. Like I can't outsource that unless I want to hire a coach, which I don't want to, right. I, people come to us for coaching, not for uh, us to hand them off to somebody else. Uh, you know, there's, there's other people that will, that will do that uh, for you. Right. But I get into coaching because I want to help other people, not for other people to help other people for me. So there's a lot of important points covered there. And I'm in a similar boat as you on the wholesaling side of things where I'm seeing what I'm doing and seeing if there's any way to streamline it, then pass it off. So hire it off. One thing, and let me hear your thoughts on it. I'm just curious that I'm finding trouble passing off is the finance role and that finance is things like making deposits, things like bookkeeping, things like putting reporting together. And the reason being is, is because no matter if I outsource that, I'm going to get all of the questions back because people are not going to know what the hell these things are and for like, the purpose of them. Right. So that's what I'm really struggling with. Now, fortunately, most of that is done you know, within a month before, ta- well, I guess that's like unfortunate as well, like the month before taxes. So it's not like it's actively taking a lot of my time throughout the year, but that yeah. month or that two months is living hell. So what are you doing in that case? Because still you're the ultimate decision maker. Everything is still in your, in your head. How, like, how are you hiring for positions like that? Or is that something you're just going to be involved in? I think I'll always have like an active role, at least for the short term in, in our company. I, I guess to add to that, you know, like for our bookkeeping, we have a bookkeeper now, right? It's just something where it's like, you just have to be comfortable handing that off and comfortable things going wrong for the first bit of time. But it's like any company, like no matter who you hire, there's going to be things that go wrong regardless. I'm just okay with that. Right. But even with bookkeeping, that's a very easy one to outsource because you say, well, what do I have to pay a bookkeeper? Well, you probably have to pay them $40 an hour. Well, Austin, how much money do you make when you wholesale a property? You probably make $2,000 an hour, right? Sometimes probably $10,000 an hour, right? Maybe you're going to get a $60,000 fee that took you five hours, right? So it's like, there's something where like your business can't afford to do the $40 hour, $40 an hour task. Maybe, maybe you have to hire a rock star for hundred dollars, but definitely like where questions come back to you, I think that's something just, you're naturally going to, you're slowly going to integrate into the people that you hire on. And, you know, they're not going to have all the answers because at the end of the day, you've built this business for you. And now you're slowly building it for everyone else around you. But it's like, I guess it's something that we're all going to struggle with. I'm still struggling with it too. Right. Uh, even with our property managers, it was just like, 
I got to the point where it's like, if this is a thousand dollar or less decision, don't ask me about it. Not because my time's worth a thousand dollars an hour, but I just don't care to try and save a hundred bucks for like you wasting my time. Right. Because I don't care about cash flow. The only thing I care about with cash flow is that my property debt services correctly. Right. I want my debt servicing to be at 1.25. If that's the case, I'm okay with, you know, like spending a thousand dollars or whatever I've allowed for, for that property. Because where the real wealth is coming from is through natural appreciation, through mortgage pay down, through forced appreciation, not cash flow. Like what's cash flow? Cash flow is just, it just helps you survive. Like on these properties, it doesn't help you live, right? That's where wholesaling comes into play. That's where coaching comes into play. That's where flipping comes into play. That's where refinancing comes into play. So a quick question for you. We're talking about the debt service ratio with your apartment buildings, I know a lot of apartment buildings on acquisition are not hitting 1.2. So people are raising and bringing much more in down payment. Um, what, what kind of debt service are you seeing with your apartment buildings? Are they 1.2 and so, as such, they're going to, getting 75% loan to value or 70% loan to value? And also, yep. I assume you're using 5 or 5.5% as the interest rate when calculating that. Is that correct? Yeah. So the bank, the way that my bank does it, I, I use a credit union. So they actually only use 3.75 as a, a to debt service us. Uh, and then they'll just use benchmark expenses, which for a lot of time, especially in these older buildings, the benchmark expense of 30% is actually much lower than what it actually is. So usually the debt service, it usually trades off because maybe my interest rate is going to be three, but the, you know, the, the expenses are high. So they're using higher. It's just, it kind of all just averages out anyways. I would say 75%. So we bought four total 75 of them have all met the 1.2 or greater DCR ratio. The, the one that we just bought for 1.9 million, of course, there's six units vacant. I'm going private on that. That, that obviously doesn't meet the 1.25 debt servicing, but it does at the back end, especially when you're doing so many deals, you can kind of cherry pick the ones you want. Right. So the, the way that I negotiate with all the sellers is I don't need this property, right? I'm not, I'm not the other investor that, you know, found my first off market property. And, and like, I'm not emotional about any properties I buy. It's just another deal. This is what I can pay. If you don't want it, I'm happy to move on to the next property because there's going to be another one tomorrow. There's going to be another one next. Right. So I don't chase stuff. Um, actually I should, I should correct that. I actually just chased the property. I paid maybe, uh, not, not more than you should have, but I paid, you know, probably maybe fair market value for it off market, but it was just a property I wanted. I'm like, I, I just want to own you. So, um, but for the most part, we're buying really good deals. Uh, and they, they, you know, they all average out. That's awesome. I was going to ask a question earlier and it's kind of rewinding a little bit now, but um, I think earlier we talked about capital calls in real estate, but this is more so kind of cash management, right? So when you've got all these different properties going on um, and you've, you're buying properties and, and you're selling properties and you've got money coming in and out and it's, between me and my wife, one day I'd be like, yeah, like, you know, there's good money in the bank. And then a week later, it's like, oh, fuck, I don't know where I'm going to get this money from. She's like, what the fuck happened? Right. So like, how do you manage that? Do you guys use any tools, any kind of system? I've tried so many different things with like just boards of like writing down different shit and like different like tools and softwares, but like nothing seems to be sticking. So I'm just curious, how are you kind of cash managing, I guess? Yeah. So I've, I've built up this like net worth calculator that shows like our property assets, like our credit card, like all of the debt on our credit cards, the private money we have, and then the cash we have in our bank. And then I've got like another column of properties incoming. So properties that I'm going to need down payments for. And then I've also allocated on that list, just the renovations that are going on currently and just an over and above amount that I'm going to need to spend on those renovations. So if I'm going to spend a hundred thousand, I've just got like 150 K in there. And then at the bottom, I can see the cash required. So if it's in the negative, that would be cash required. Or if it's in the positive, I know how much cash I'm going to have after the case. But I would just try and keep that at a healthy level. So like I said, like at any given point, I'd like to have, you know, probably like half a million dollars 
just hanging around so that I'm never, because that's like a bot, like I've realized that's a bottleneck for me. If I only have 200 K right. But I've got 10 renovations on the go. I will, I will not be buying properties. Right. Because I'm going to be worried about like, you know, going, um, you know, to zero. Right. But if I have half a million or a million dollars, let's just say, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive. I'm going to be willing to take, you know, that next leap of faith. So like with all of our stuff, you know, we've got, uh, not, not a lot of private money. Uh, we're actually paying off a lot of it right now, but at any given point, like, like the way I like to think about it, I'm doing the wholesales to pay for the private money and some, right. The wholesales, in my opinion, are going to pay for all my private money and for the salary that I'm going to pay our acquisitions manager. I've got our coaching, which supplements, uh, more of our income. Um, I've also, we've got a house hack here. So, uh, we live in like a bungalow. I've got the basement that's rented out and then I've got a carriage house in the backyard. So I, we've really got like limited expenses in that point. Uh, like all of our cars are paid off. We really have like no like debt obligations monthly that aren't serviced by, you know, cash flow. So I think the answer to that is really just having, you know, more, more money on hand. Right. So, so you never have to like, you know, crunch like, okay, I've got $200,000. I've got 150 that I need for the down payment on this, but then I've also got renovations here. It's like, you wouldn't ask yourself that question if you just had like three quarters of a million dollars. Right. Cause you'd know, like, I'm good. I'm buying a $300,000 property. That's going to take me a hundred K to close worst case scenario. I'm going to get 70% loan of value. And then I have more than enough money to buy the next deal. That's how I always just like to think, right. I just like to think it's going to hold me back. Well, money for the longest time, money held me back. And I'm like, I just need to make more of it. Right. So then we started wholesaling things like that just to generate more capital. Awesome. Jeremy. So I, th- I think that was a great episode. I think we kind of jumped around to a couple of different things, but we covered a lot of you know, from the small deals to the big deals to how you structure your business. So I think there's a lot of different nuggets for anyone that's, you know, looking at what, what is the end goal, right? I don't want any new investor to, to just try to do all this at the same time. I think Jerry's yeah. two and a half years or so into his journey. And I think this is what everyone can kind of get to, right? So, uh, so now moving on to kind of our two questions that we like to ask our guests. The first question is, where do you see yourself five years from now from a business perspective? What will you be doing? What's kind of the end goal for you? For sure. So actually we, we typically set ourselves out like for, for a year in advance because, you know, I even know like looking three years back, like I'm, I'm where I want it to be in like 10 years. Right. So I don't really like five years is so like, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. I'm going to be, and I'm going to be in my thirties in five years I'm 25 right now. It's kind of scary to think, but uh, you know, where I really, where, yeah, we're 20, I'm 25. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> no I didn't know we could swear on this episode. I was, I, I, there was a couple of times where I almost swore. And I was, oh, I should, should have. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're like, what, what is the vision for Taylor and I, I guess that that might be a better way to kind of wrap this, wrap this around is Taylor and I, we want to continue building in our business, but we want to help other people as well. So that's, we thought coaching was the answer to that. And it will still always be the answer. I'm always going to be coaching other people, but even bringing on our acquisitions manager, I want to help them scale up so that eventually they can do this on their own too. Right. And I want to help my, you know, my contract. I just help my contractor buy a property. Like I want to continue doing more of that from a business perspective. I mean, it's onwards and upwards for us, right? We're always trying to scale because that's what, that's what we enjoy doing. I don't like the nitty gritty, you know, collecting rent and, you know, doing renovations. I like buying properties. So we're going to continue buying properties. I think I see ourselves getting into larger acquisitions just to allocate capital easier instead of doing a bunch of $200,000 capital allocations, just doing more million dollars, $2 million allocations. Um, also traveling more. So one of our goal is to, you know, travel six months every single year. We've already traveled two months this year. So continuing to do that, just living a more, uh, freedoms lifestyle, right? So bringing on the people that we need in our business to continue living the life that we want to live and helping other people prosper is, is really a goal that we have in mind. And, you know, really just, you know, being a leader in the investment community, right? Like helping other people 
realize like this is achievable, right? I didn't start with that much money. And I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm where a lot of people want to be, right? And I think for a lot of people, it seems unachievable or, you know, it seems out of reach, right? But I want to, I want to continue educating people to let them know, like, it's not like there's, this is the best opportunity to get started. For sure. Awesome, Jeremy. So I think that was a great answer. The second part of the question is for any new investor in today's market, what do you perceive to be the biggest risk? I think the biggest risk is over leverage. Uh, I think now, you know, I, I saw this Instagram post the other day. It was like, you know, 2019, you buy a property for 200,000, it gets appraised for 190. And then it was like 2022, you buy a property for 300,000 and it gets appraised for 400,000. Right? I think the valuations are getting higher than I think anybody's ever expected. And I think now more than ever, just making sure your portfolio's a leveraged position that you're comfortable with. So try, you know, not trying to leverage everything up to 80%, you know, having like an overall portfolio where, you know, if you did have to sell off an asset because, you know, maybe rates did go up or things like that, you have that option. And I think for any new investor, I think the biggest risk is, you know, just getting too emotional while buying the wrong deal. Right. I think that's a big reason why people enjoy coaching is because they're able to ask, you know, questions like, is this a good deal? Because, you know, maybe, you know, all of us, we can analyze a deal in, in a minute. Right. And know like, is this even worth our time for a lot of people? Like that's not as easy. Right. That's just second nature for us now. But for a lot of investors, it's not. So, uh, you know, just really running your numbers, making sure that things do make sense uh, because it's easier, I think, to go to zero than ever. Right. Because, you know, the market could shift. We've seen the market shift upwards. Right. You know, for a lot of I've never. I've never invested in a market where it went down. Right. But I'm aware it's going to happen. None of us really have. Right. We weren't, we weren't investing in 2008. We weren't investing when the lot, the last, uh, you know, downturn happened. So we want to be aware, right. It's easy to do birds now. Why? Because sometimes they take six months and the market appreciated 20%. Right. I see all these people doing flips and they're like made $60,000 on this flip. And I'm thinking in my head, that's funny because I think you bought that property a year ago. And it probably appreciated a hundred thousand dollars. So like, what if that flip only took you two months? Like it probably should have, Mm -hmm. would you have made money? I don't know, but this is just my assumptions. Right. So I think now more than ever, just running your numbers very strategically, uh, and ensuring that, you know, they do cash flow and you're not over leveraged. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Being risk adverse doesn't necessarily mean not taking any action. But just, you know, second guessing or really thinking through the decisions you make so that you're not in a compromised position. And I think for me, I'm actually under leveraged and it still worries yeah. me. <laughs> like I still yeah. get fucking my primary residence. I'm like a couple hundred thousand in equity built in. And I just like, oh man, I don't want to refi. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Maybe I'm well, a little bit too much. Yeah. I was, I made a post on Instagram and uh, it was actually one that I, I think I like the most story views I've ever got. Um, and I said, the more money you make, the more concerned you are with needing more. Right. And that's so true. There's so many times where like, I have, you know, let's, I don't, I don't want to come off as talking when I say this, but like, let's say like, I have like a bunch of money and I'm like, I need more. And then like, I ask myself like, why Jeremy, why do you need more? And I'm like, I don't know. So feel more safe. Right. It's like, but no, like, and it's same with like, no, I need a hundred units. Well, why do you need a hundred units? I don't know. It's just like, I'll have more cash flow. I'll have more property. It's like, no, 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 we're fine right now. And like, the more you make, the more, uh, you know, self-conscious you get with like, you know, how much money you have. Awesome. So this was a fantastic episode, Jeremy. Really appreciate all of the, uh, the outlook, the insights that you gave us in, in your journey. You're doing incredible things, man. Only 25. Fuck. I can't, can't wait to see where you're at when you're 30. You're probably nowhere near Canada. <laughs> 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 12 months out of the year. Um, if people want to reach out with you, connect with you, I know that you're, you're stepping back from the coaching, right? So like there's not many coaching opportunities now or. 
Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, you know, it's something we're going to revisit in the fall. Uh, right now we're coaching actively 25 investors. So it's it's quite the, uh, quite the, and and really the reason we're scaling back is we want to continue to be able to provide the most amount of value to our students, uh, which, which we are, we're continuing to revamp what we're doing, how we're coaching people, how we're uh, inspiring people, things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, the best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to get on quick phone calls with people, help them out, introduce myself, just kind of connect with people. Uh, that's the best way at Jeremy Ivany on Instagram. Uh, other than that, um, you know, you guys can see my posts, things like that. And I'm always just trying to inspire people to, to take action and, you know, do more with the life that they've, they've been given. So. That's amazing, man. You know, episodes like these guests, like these, they just really inspire me to take more as well. So really appreciate you jumping on the podcast again, Jeremy. If you guys enjoyed this episode, like subscribe do whatever you can to support the podcast, give it a five-star rating on Apple podcasts, because that number has not been moving recently. So please do. (laughs) (laughs) And until next time, everyone invest smarter and live better. Take care all.